Welcome to RevAmp, the revenue amplification podcast powered by DealHub.io. I'm your host, Gideon Thomas, and we will be speaking to some of the most exciting revenue leaders within the community. Simon, welcome to the RevAmp podcast show. Uh, We're delighted to have you on board here today. And for those people who don't already know you uh, at home, perhaps you could just take a moment to introduce yourself, your name, your role, and a little bit about your uh, your company, Clarity. Yeah, thanks, Gideon. Appreciate it. And it's a pleasure to be here. Um, Simon Chester, I'm the Chief Revenue Officer of a company called Clarity. Uh, Clarity is the leading OT cybersecurity company. Uh, we protect everything within the industrial four walls. And Ultimately, we protect companies from everything from critical infrastructure all the way through to life sciences, automotive and food and bev uh, organizations. So, Fantastic. And I know from, uh, from our prior conversation that um, you guys are going through uh, a really exciting time right now and a really demanding time uh, right now. So perhaps you could help us to, to really understand some of the key challenges or characteristics that you're facing uh, right now as, as a CRO. Yeah, I mean, the OT cybersecurity market is going through a a huge growth period, um, primarily driven by the fact that there's uh, legacy and and unfamiliar assets within the industrial environments that are being now connected to the other parts of the network of enterprises, and that's creating an expanded threat landscape. Mm -hmm. But also from um, what's happening in the uh, market is that malactors are finding ways to now attack these industrial environments, which means that... um, they can exploit more money from shutting down operations. It's, it's slightly more different than locking personal data if you can shut down the productions of you know, food, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, you know, we're dealing with 100% year-over-year growth pretty much every, every quarter. Um, and, and that's a significant different challenge, I think, in terms of qualifying and prioritizing your efforts and focus of the team. So, yeah, that's what I'm currently going through. So... I'm going to obviously be devil's advocate today for everybody that is not as familiar with your market as you are. So tell me, what is the consequence of you not prioritizing your, your efforts in real terms? You know, when you talk about the numbers, what is the impact of you kind of going left versus right? Yeah, so I mean, when demand's sort of outstripping the supply and, and there's not many, I'd say, specialist organizations that uh, can really compete in this space. So we're of only a, a small handful of companies that can service the demand. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we aren't prioritizing and focusing our uh, sales efficiency in the right way with the right accounts and customers and selling on business value for them, uh, then they're going to go somewhere else. Uh, and that's, that's the, the nature of the, the hot, hot demand. And in terms of capacity planning, um, has that changed in the last 12 months or is it changing underneath your feet uh, right now? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the biggest challenge I've got is... Um, you know, the, the cycle in terms of finding a lead, taking them through nurturing uh, cycles and, and ultimately getting them into a sales accepted lead so that the salesperson can, you know, start to work and, and really identify that buyer aligned journey and the problem that the client has mm-hmm. uh, starts a long time ago. So, you know, making sure that we've, we've got the right activities happening at least nine months prior to create the pipeline is a key activity. But at the same point, you know, um, trying to find talent um, for that type of volume of growth is, is really difficult. So, you know, I have a large volume of open positions that I'm trying to fill. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that starts to mess with my sales uh, efficiency planning. So if I, if I don't get somebody 
coming in in the right time when I planned it from a, a cost load perspective, but also the planned efficiency of the the quota retirement uh, over the year, then you know I can I can miss numbers um, pretty easily. And I, obviously, I save on the cost um, because I, obviously they're not coming on board. But ultimately, there's a there's a, an LTV CAC ratio measure, which means that you want every at least two dollars for every one dollar that you uh, uh, you're spending. So uh, that's the nature of the game. And uh, at a board level, what level, you know, above you, margin of error or whatever, um, are they willing to digest? I think you you mentioned a percentage that you factor into your calculations earlier. What what was that? Well, obviously, the board don't don't expect any margin of error, but I mean, ultimately, <laughs> I have to I have to plan for the fact that I'm going to guarantee the board's return, and that means that I work on a twenty percent right. uh, variable um, of margin of error in a way because. You know, if I don't get a salesperson that's starting on the date that I planned the budget uh, when that person should come in, obviously I need to make sure that I've got the right pipeline available for that person to attract the right talent um, and making sure that I don't starve the existing salesperson in the region if I'm expanding or right. creating a new market, for example. And therefore, um, you know, that could be delayed. If it gets delayed by two months, I can't find the right talent, for example, then that's almost, you know, 20% on, on the return. So mm. I need to either hire ahead of the curve or attract the talent ahead of the curve to make sure that I minimize the impact of when that, that person starts, making sure they got the right pipeline uh, cover and yield and, you know, making sure that they go through the ramp ramping process to be fully ramped um, so that it can execute on that pipeline. And that's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, a balancing act but it's also a momentum um, activity that you've got to keep all the plates spinning at the same time across your channel your pipe your marketing teams your finance teams for the cost but also the uh, um, the sales performance and efficiency does that mean that you also have to have another for lack of a better term plan b running in parallel to offset the risk that you might not get the right person uh, on board at the right timing do you have to have two parallel plans for how you're going to reach your, your number or is it i just need to be all in on plan a uh, there's no exceptions and there's no other way now, there's always there's always a, a parallel plans to make sure you de-risk as much as possible and whether that's you know doubling down on certain partners and and channel activities also driving the enablement you know I, i'm a keen uh, we're 100 channel focused as a business um, which is which is really good because our technology we don't focus on services, but it really drives a high service demand um, from a uh, from a profitability point of view for our partners. So they Thank they you. invest in that, um, which is good, and they also are attracted to invest in their capability to um, identify, pitch, and position our technology. And I work on always worked on a ten x multiplier. So whatever resources I'm holding, you know, I want my channels certified to the exact same quality um, within my channel ecosystem. So on that ten x multiplier. Um, I at least have got a, a coverage of people that can execute, you know, on their own and de-risk the fact that I don't need, they don't need a high touch uh, support, for example, but that doesn't, that doesn't go into the solution engineers, which is another challenge because you've got to make sure you've got the right uh, solution engineer cover as well from a ratio right. perspective. And with your, uh, with your channel partners and your channels, I once read a report related to this where there was a, some kind of statistic that you said that you had 5% of your channel partners, which would be peak performers, would need low touch to no touch and would deliver you know, um, on the number. You'd have about 15% that had a huge amount of potential, would need that 
that little nudge over the edge, your support would make uh, all the difference. And then you had the remaining 80% that no matter how much effort you put into it, mm. would give you really low return on investment or even negative uh, return on investment. Does any kind of, have you experienced anything like that within your uh, worldview? Yes, apart from the negative. So everything you, you pointed out is, is true. So ultimately we focus on the ones where, like I said, that 10X cover, would work probably across about, I don't know, 15 to 20% of my partners that are fully capable to go and pitch, influence, convince, and almost convert uh, on their own um, mm -hmm. as either OEMs, white label in it, or tech alliances that take us to market. And therefore, that from a sales touch point of view is, is quite low touch. Um, you don't always get the right ASP out of that because you can't determine the enterprise uh, sales approach and effectively you, you're um, beholden to that partner and how they sell and or how your product is integrated in the sales strategy. Mm -hmm. And then you step down into the sort of the additional 30 to 40% of partners where you know, they can uh, identify, they can influence, and they just can't convince um, because they don't understand the business value as, as strong as your own uh, organization. So... In that case, yeah, you need the enterprise rep to be able to deliver the strong business value message, push mm -hmm. it over the line, so to speak. Uh, and in most cases, you need a solution architect also to, to get the technical verification and validation done with the client. So, uh, But that's still a lighter touch than what I'd say is the rest, which are um, can identify an opportunity. Um, they have an understanding of what it takes to influence, um, but probably not the right relationship level. Um, because OT is is a different um, OT cybersecurity is slightly different at the moment because of the convergence that's going on. We've got two personas, so an OT persona and an IT persona, um, and those partners sometimes will have a relationship with either one or the other. They won't have both, and in most cases, you need to have relationships on both sides of the fence of OT and IT. Now, in that case, you know that is slightly higher touch from my sales team, and what we run is a you know, straightforward MedPIC process methodology um, where the P doesn't stand for the paper process, it stands for partners. So we would drive the influence, the convince um, and business value cycle. And then when we get to the sort of requirement stage, we identify what sort of partner the, the, the client's looking for. Mm -hmm. And then we bring a partner in. So that has a lot of higher value to our partners, which is why we, we operate really well. And we've got a really awesome partner community uh, and network. So. Fantastic. Now, now pulling you back to, to where we were a moment ago, <clears throat> do you actually see any opportunities coming into 2022? I remember having, uh, you know, having a look into Sales Kickoff 2021 this time last year, looking at Sales Kickoff 2022. I remember I'll, I'll even give you an example. This time last year, when I was uh, doing a podcast with Zedskeller over in the US, they were. They were all into the, uh, the details of creating virtual spaces online and then you would choose your room and then you'd go to your room and your room was personalized with everything in terms of content that you would need to kind of evolve you and inspire you and, and kind of guide you. Um, now a lot of people are kind of getting back to some hybrid reality of in-person slash remote. What does SKO 2022 look like for, uh, for your team? Well, last year it was, it was virtual. Um, right. Uh, global virtual, which was over five days. Um, it was actually a pretty awesome uh, event with break, you know, virtual breakout rooms and everything else. But um, this year it's it's full physical or, or next year it's full physical. So 
we expect to get, we've been working really hard on finding the right location, mm-hmm. really identifying the sort of most lenient, I suppose, conditions around COVID into those, into that country. We've, we've got a country, okay. um, we've got a location, we've got our agenda locked. Um, we expect to have round about 200 people, um, which would be pretty, pretty great uh, to get everyone together. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we're planning on about 90% that will actually, you know, go through to, uh, to actually attend, um, which is, which is great. And I think we're also looking at that from a, um, from a demand creation perspective, you know, beyond SCO uh, into events, more physical, because we find that the richness of the, the lead, which comes out of a physical is far greater than a, a virtual. Um, but that means that in some countries especially in asia where there's still restrictions on volumes of people gathering we've got to do more round table type activities versus the larger webinar um, or, or more conference style events in some of the western countries um, but it's it's again it's a challenge on the marketing team and ultimately how they're focused on making sure we build the right uh, quality coming in in terms of our relationships so um yeah we'll see i mean it's 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 a strange world still, you know, we're getting back to normal as much as possible, but there is still certain areas of restrictions. There's also certain cultural dynamics, which makes it difficult for people that aren't vaccinated. Um, and I think that uh, we're going to have to live with that for at least a couple of years. Yeah. The good news is that you have a plan. Uh, <laughs> it's evolved and it looks like everything's going to happen. Um, kind of my last question is, all again related to, to this subject and this theme is um, with ramp and onboarding being a big part of uh, the second part, you know, finding the talent, of course, and, and recruiting the right people uh, or headhunting the right people is, is kind of part one. But part two is then getting them up to speed um, effectively. Have you come across, found for yourself or created any efficiencies on that side of things that maybe you're able to do things more streamlined than you were because you've not been with Clarity forever, right? You've been with them for less than two years. If, uh, if oh, yeah, yeah, just a year. Yeah. So this time last year, you were probably uh, kind of receiving the existing processes that you inherited. And, and now this time around, you probably are able to analyze some of the data and see um, <clears throat> where you can make some improvements. Have you come across anything that, uh, that you think would be valuable to share? Yes. So obviously over a year ago, I was the, the chief revenue officer for NTT's cybersecurity business um, globally. Um, and that was a very heavily services led uh, organization with uh, security control partners um, as part of the overall solution for our customers. But we still focused very heavily on enablement and education. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to do that across a broad spectrum of IT security controls uh, in that world. So coming into this world, which is a you know very... Uh, so specific OT cybersecurity uh, technology company, um, the enablement and education strategy, uh, which I, sort of, I joined in December, was really more of just a, um, an e-learning sort of consume on your own sort of uh, format, video format, mm-hmm. self-learning. Uh, and what I've been involved into, I once, one first thing, I, I hired someone that you know I've worked with in the past who is just a, a genius. And she... Um, she helped build the sort of VMware sales professional and certified technical professional when we were both living the VMware hyper growth days in the virtualization journey. Mm -hmm. And she's done many of the same for other uh, cybersecurity companies. 
she's come in and she's basically completely relooked at our academy and our enablement and ultimately how we've made it an interactive certification program um, and training event for our partners. So it's got a lot more structure. It's a lot more interactive. It's very, uh, very broad. That level of training and enablement is key focus for me because if I can get people um, operating under the same process, the same methodology, the same consistency, uh, then ultimately I get more predictability. And if I can take that and make that replicate, replicatable into my partner ecosystem, as I said before, and have them at the same level mm-hmm. using the same materials, I get even more scale coverage. Mm-hmm. So that's what we've been focused on. That's what we continue to focus on. And if I talk about a couple of things that a, a CRO would be really uh, focused on is focus which is you know what is the market that you're going after what is the personas which countries which verticals so you know exactly your targets you know, motivation which is you know critical from a compensation perspective but there is there's two there's two motivation points there's an intrinsic and there's an extrinsic and extrinsic is you know how much commission they earn bonuses etc an intrinsic is how much time you put into training them and, and upskilling and up leveling them as well as how they feel about the platform, simplifying it, taking the noise and the challenge out of a sales role. And that intrinsic motivator is also a key component of the Clarity Academy uh, and making sure that they feel like it's it's not easy is the wrong word, but it's as simple as it can be. And it's going to take them on a journey of being a better individual, a more interesting individual, which means that they're more attractive to their sales clients and have better discussions with the customers and prospects. I love that. Was there anything else on the uh, enablement side of things, or those were the key uh, the key pieces? The enablements are uh, twofold. One, there's the sort of training around, you know, having a sales uh, sales capability, technical capabilities. There's also uh, expanding capabilities around support services and what our partners can build out of support, and then also now around SOC. So as more and more industrial organizations connect their OT environments into the uh, the SOC environments, Mm -hmm. we've got to train them on how to consume and and contextualize the alerts out of the OT. So it's a broad spectrum of of training. There's also the additional, which is, as you you know, once you, as you sort of scale the company to be a a very big company, which is what we're on at the moment, uh, the journey we're on, we're putting in into the layers of the organization a really defined CMMI business operational process across the business end-to-end, which includes platforms and technologies and also processes and procedures. So the, the onboarding training is a completely separate sort of focus, which is how to use the tools, who do you go to, what's the what's the business steps that need to go through for everything on a client life cycle of you know, how we attract someone and then how do, we, how do we sort of nurture them? How do we convert them? How do we then turn them into an adopter and an ambassador? And the business systems, tools and processes that, and functions that support that. So there's a, there's a whole internal onboarding uh, training um, uh, approach too. Absolutely. So as we kind of draw things to a close here, what would be the key learning or, or takeaways maybe if you look back over the last 12 months that you will, uh, that you'll draw from as we look forward to the next 12 months, Mm -hmm. obviously it has been a lot because it was a lot was new to you in this particular company. Um, Anything that you can put your finger on? I would say momentum. The, The one thing that you've got to keep because there's so many different levers and dynamics for a revenue officer, you know, whether it's, 
tech alliances, partners or customers or sales or revenue or marketing, you know, people, everything's uh, sort of in the mix to maintain the momentum and make sure that all of those things are not um, uh, left behind. Mm-hmm. As, long as, you, as long as you've got all of those things marching at the same speed, you can always build on that momentum. Um, if you don't have the marching at the same speed, uh, then you've got, you've got problems. You're always then dropping in, jumping out, and trying to then sort of um, like a bee to a honeypot in some way. You know, you're flying around all over the place. Mm-hmm. Or you can get that structure of a momentum that is stable, consistent, then you can start to scale the, the speed of that momentum. So that would be my, my sort of takeaway, uh, especially in a hyper-growth market for a chief revenue officer. Mm-hmm. Fantastic, Simon. Well, thank you for myself and all of the, uh, the Revan team over here. Um, I'd encourage anybody that has any unfulfilled questions for you to just reach out to you on, on LinkedIn and maybe drop you a polite line. And of course, we'll link to your profile um, in the show notes here. And it's been our absolute pleasure to, to have you on board and learn with you and from you. Um, and more than that, wishing you lots of success uh, this coming year for, for yourself and the rest of your team. Thanks, Gideon. It's been a pleasure too. And um, uh, I suppose goodbye from sunny London at the moment. <laughs> Glad to see it. I think you turned, uh, they turned on extra streetlights today to, uh, to give us the halo effect. Perfect. Thank you so much, Simon. Bye for Thank now. You. Bye, Gideon. See ya.